0: This morning we are continuing on with our series, uh, short series within the book of Peter, living for God. And if you remember last week, we talked about this. About uh, the, the sermon title was trade up, leave uh, the old way you used to do things, leave the old, uh, the muck of your old life behind, uh, the things that we used to do uh, before we followed Jesus, leave that behind and trade up, uh, and love your church. If you want to know kind of more of what Peter was talking about, listen to the sermon online. He was saying, uh, above everything else, love each other, serve each other, and be hospitable to each other. Well, this week, we're nearing the end of 1 Peter, nearing the end of the book. Um, But we're going to be talking some about what it means to follow Jesus, um, especially um, a survival kit for suffering. And, you know, it's been huge for me this week thinking about um, how we view suffering here in this part of the world. Uh, because suffering is not very common here, um, and in some ways, let me explain. Uh, some, sometimes our, we often view suffering, like problems with our health or the death of someone we love, is pretty um, pretty sporadic, versus other places in the world where suffering is more of a daily part of life. And I think about my last year traveling to India and just. Um, the ways, like the the lack of medical care they had there, um, the the ways that they ate, and the diseases that would come and go, and and the way people treated each other, that suffering was definitely more prevalent in their culture. Uh, you know, I think about and that was just like that was in India, in the place where I was staying. But there are some places in the world where people daily uh, are struggling to find food to eat. It's a daily struggle. Some they have people um, where mortality rates of children is quite high, and so. There are some cultures that still celebrate the first year. Uh, when your child makes it to their first year, they celebrate and have a big party because so often children would die in infancy. Um, or, I mean, just think about the, the places in the world where people face daily economic hardships, uh, barely able to pay the bills. And so, you know, I think about this on how hey, compared to our culture where our issues have do, have more to do with overeating, um, how we have this advanced medical care system where we can just show up at the hospital and get treatment uh, usually, um, where for us prosperity is the norm. And so uh, suffering can be really difficult. We can begin to view it. If we don't have it a lot, we can begin to view it as this, this, this anomaly, this problem that we have to fix. And I was thinking about it. Uh, how even as a Christian and how much the scriptures talk about suffering and, and going through hard things, how I can view uh, offense or I can view suffering as offensive. I can view it as like I'm shocked that I'm going through this and, or, or even that I'm angry. I'm angry at the people who did it, sometimes even um, angry with God. Like, God, how could, you ha- how could you let this happen? And I was thinking about um, this morning actually about the Christians in the Philippines. Um, and prayed for them already. I was reading an article in the news this morning about a church in an area of the Philippines where it's predominantly Muslim and um, are growing in Muslim and uh, Islam. And the Christian church there was bombed in response to that area talking about uh, becoming an autonomous region. And so the church there was bombed. And thinking about for us how it changes you know that we, there are some we have brothers and sisters who continually face persecution. It's it's daily, and it's and it's not just verbal, um, it's not just uh, harassment. It's to where they are being sometimes thrown in prison or even killed for their faith. And it got me thinking about how do we approach uh, unjust treatment for us here in our community, in our culture, for being Christians. And it's kind of a specific question. And, and it's specific, and, and I'm, you know, but I think it's also a growing concern in our culture that we face a culture that is less and less tolerant of our faith, less and less tolerant of us as Christians. So how do we do this? And you know, some of you are wondering, how do, we, how do we navigate this? And so as our culture becomes increasingly secular, how should we approach this unfair treatment? You know, should we protest? Should we take to the streets? Should we put on yellow vests and start throwing uh, 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 Molotov cocktails and things like that? Or do we join the current uh, trend in our society of the biggest loser where people compete uh, for who is the most victimized group? Or should we start um, picking up our churches? Should we just take our church, gather everything up, and head north to some remote area where we can just be left alone? How do we engage our society? How does scripture, in fact, how does scripture instruct us to act? Well, today, uh, because of God's word, um, I'm I'm glad that you're here, because these questions I think Peter addresses. And they're not only helpful, but they are correcting for us, and they're convicting. So Peter's going to encourage us in a particular way. And it's not to go into self-pity or just begin uh, claiming that we are victims. And nor is it to resist temptation by this temptation to have an ugly response, to start getting back at people, or to, to complain about the fact that we've lost privileges as Christians. Peter gives us this Christian survival kit for, suffer, for enduring suffering, for surviving it, and how we live in the culture um, that's not arresting us yet, but doesn't really like us yet, or doesn't really like us either because we follow Jesus. So let's dive into this text and see what God has for us today. Um, but before we do, I'm just going to move this just back a bit. I feel like I can't quite talk to this side of the room. All right. So, let's dive into this into this passage. All right? So Peter says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. Now, I want to be, be careful here because the suffering that peter is talking about is specific through most of first peter uh through his letter he's talking about suffering for the fact of being christian suffering harassment um or unjust treatment because they are christians that's the particular type of suffering he's talking about he's not talking about suffering because your health is bad or suffering because you've lost someone you love he, that's not specifically the type of suffering that he's talking about. Though I want to make some points here that that some of the things that he's saying here apply to even that kind of suffering, even general suffering. So he's talking about it, uh, specifically about persecution. And uh, I want to be careful here because uh, how we talk about persecution, because we have brothers and sisters like in the Philippines who are being, their churches are being blown up, um, bombed because they're Christian. But how can we apply this word, this teaching from Peter to our lives? How can we apply this carefully, not only to the fact that we suffer um, or that we suffer generally, like the loss of loved ones or trouble with relationships or loss of jobs or our own health? How do we endure that sort of suffering? But also, how do we endure the hardship of following Jesus in a culture that doesn't really like people who follow Jesus anymore? How do we do that? And how we do that without glorifying suffering, because Peter's not saying that suffering is this great and wonderful thing, but he is trying to help us to see it in light of Jesus and who he is and what he's done. So we feel this too in our culture. Um, You know, last summer, just as an example, something that was more uh, widespread was the the federal government changed rules around uh, funds for. Uh, non-profit organizations for summer employment. There used to be funds available for that. Then they began adding stipulations about certain types of, in, of inclusivity that especially Christian agencies felt that they couldn't, uh, in good conscience, they wouldn't just check the box, but they couldn't abide by it either. And so they missed out on some of that funding. And so there was a big, uh, lots of stories about it. And those are just some of the examples of how culture is changing, making it more difficult for us to faithfully follow Jesus. Well, actually, making it more difficult for us because we faithfully follow Jesus. All right. So the thing is, you know, like I hear, you know, that we as Christians we want to speak honestly, we want to speak truthfully about things that are unjust or unfair, but we also want to struggle. But we also want to be careful uh, how we talk about it. And this whole week I've been struggling with the word persecution. And actually, up until just this morning, I was thinking I didn't want to use the word persecution for us. I wanted to reserve that for our brothers and sisters in places like the Philippines. Uh, where our churches are being bombed, or our brothers and sisters in China, where they're being arrested for uh, evangelizing people, or our brothers and sisters in the Middle East, where they are being killed um, because they are converting to Christianity. But as I was thinking about it and studying this word, persecution is the persistent harassment of people because of their religious or different types of beliefs. And so persecution is fitting for us. I think what I was Cautious. what I want us to be careful of is that we don't put ourselves, that we're careful that we still honor those who are being martyred, who are being killed for their faith, that we still honor them and those who are being imprisoned, sent to prison, that we honor them, uh, that we don't claim too much for ourselves, though we are facing increasing, I would say, increasing uh, resistance for being followers of Jesus. So I just want to be careful about that, but also that we are careful that we don't join... Uh, this victim mentality in our culture that's so common, uh, this sort of race to the bottom. And I actually, I see a lot of times too where it's not just about equality. Some In some places it is about equality, but in some places it's actually I think more about power. And it's framed in terms of equality, but it's actually wanting power, one group wanting power from another so they can use it against them. So I think it's important for us to think about what we mean and what we're saying in persecution. And that rather as a subgroup, as us as Christians, that we uh, speak honestly about it, about the unjust treatment that we sometimes receive, but that we do so in a way that is actually uh, seeking equality for everybody. So we stand up for people who aren't treated fairly as well, not just our own interest. So Peter says this, he says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial, trial you are suffering. And that's the first thing that we kind of gather out of this, His friends, do not be surprised. So as we look at our uh, survival kit, uh, Peter's first teaching for us, the first uh, kind of help he gives us, the first tool, is don't be surprised. And I think that's helpful for us because we live in a culture right now where suffering is pretty rare. Uh, Suffering can feel uh, as a surprise, or we can be shocked by it, or even outraged by it, that As we, as our culture moves further one direction, as our culture becomes increasingly secular, and we remain faithful to Jesus, don't be surprised when we face uh, persecution or suffering. And Peter goes on. He says, "Rather, or but, rejoice that you are participating in the sufferings of Christ." And I think about it. So rejoice in the harassment for being a Christian. Wait a minute. What? (laughs) What are you talking about, Peter? This is crazy. But he does. He says this, seriously, rejoice. And the thing I think Peter is getting at here is that he realizes that people are tribal. That people have this tendency to think, if you're not with us, then you are against us. And there's there's tons of pressure in our society to fit in, to go along, to fit in. It's like an adult version of high school, where if you're not a part of the in crowd or the normal crowd, then you get picked on and bullied. Well, increasingly... As Christians, we are moving out of the cool category into the uncool. We are moving into the group where people um, don't like us because we follow Jesus, because we say, actually, we think we should live according to God's way, uh, not just whatever we think. And so Peter's saying rejoice. And I was thinking about this idea that in the ancient Near Eastern culture, in the Roman society in the first century, uh, they had a very different view of suffering. Um a very kind of superstitious view of suffering, that suffering was something that happened to you um, because you did something wrong, because you somehow, uh, to use like a word that many of us are familiar with, like karma, you did something bad, so you're getting, you know, the, the universe is getting you back or the, the gods are getting you back. They had this idea that gods were, uh, one, there was lots of them uh, in the Roman world, but also, too, that gods were, uh, were pretty finicky, that you never knew what was going to upset them. So they were constantly trying to keep them happy with all the, with all the uh, sacrifices and all the special days and all the honoring of God's. Because their whole goal was not because they really loved the God or thought the God loved them. They were just trying to keep them happy so that their crops would be productive, their, children, their wives would, would give birth to children, their children would be healthy and survive, that life would go well for them. That was a very superstitious idea, view of suffering. And so Peter is coming into this group who are no doubt shaped, many of them are probably converts to Christianity, saying that is not how we as Christians are to view suffering. And he's actually saying that you are actually facing suffering not because you're doing something wrong, but because you're doing something right, because you're faithfully following Jesus, especially when it's hard. So to people who are used to looking at suffering as as a result of something bad you've done, Peter is saying to them, no, this persecution you are facing is actually because you're doing something right, because you're being faithful to Jesus. And so he's changing their understanding of suffering. Then he says this, he says, because you're sharing in Jesus' suffering, participate in the sufferings of Christ. It's a very different view of suffering. It adds this, this reality that Jesus suffered too, on purpose, for our sake. And so when we, face persecution or people are patronizing to us or condescending to us because we say we're a Christian that actually we participate in the suffering of Christ as well and that's not actually that's actually a good thing for us that's a reason to rejoice that we are have the share in Christ that we are doing something right there's a saying in the scriptures that says it's actually in Luke where it says a woe to you when people when everyone speaks well of you Because it's a dangerous thing if we're keeping everybody around us happy. Especially when they don't think following Jesus is good. The point being is that sometimes following Jesus will put us at odds with the culture around us. And we have to keep following him. So he says rejoice. Rejoice. And then he says this, so that you may be overjoyed. That you might really, and the Greek is actually really, really rejoice when his glory is revealed. So when Christ comes. So he said, uh, kind of the thinking here being is if we can rejoice now in how hard it is for us, how much more will we rejoice when Christ comes, when he brings this new heaven and new earth? Now I have to admit, I I realize this is a discipline. It's difficult to rejoice when things are hard, when people are speaking condescendingly to us or judgmentally of us, when people uh, dismiss us because we say we are Christians, or our, our views are viewed as archaic, Or out of touch with reality. It's hard to rejoice in those situations. But if we can, if it's a discipline that we can keep saying, you know what, I know Jesus faced suffering for being faithful to God, and so I'm willing to do it as well, then when he does come, not only will we be vindicated, but we will see God's glory, and we'll have a chance to really rejoice. Then he says this, he says, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. What? If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. And this is the key part, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. This is Peter telling us that the spirit of God is with us even when we face difficult things. He's saying here that you are blessed actually. The spirit comes, that God is with us in the midst of suffering. That God is with us. And I talk with people often when they are going through difficult things and there's a lot of times where you can feel like, is God even there anymore? Peter is reminding us that the Spirit is with us. That even though we feel like everything is going wrong, like we're losing friends or it's getting harder and harder to follow Jesus in our culture, he's saying you are blessed because the Holy Spirit is on you. The Spirit of God is with you. You're not alone. God is with you. And then he says this. He says, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. And then you can see here there's this kind of descending order. Murderer being the top, then thief, and then just kind of um, uh, a criminal kind of going down in order. But then there's this last one here where he says, uh, as a meddler. And you think like, whoa, that's a huge step down for murder. Like, you know, Now they're like, how is that criminal act? And actually the Greek word here is um, allotrapiskopos. Oh man, it's like 14 syllables, this word. (laughs) It's a Greek word um, uh, that talks about like another bishop or another person who's overlooking your life. And it's kind of difficult because it's the only place in the whole New Testament where it's used. And so we're kind of trying to understand, like, in terms of context, what does this mean? And what actually means, is that our best hunch is that this is someone who gets involved in people's lives, who causes trouble. And I wonder if this might actually be a term, and this is just me wondering, if this is maybe what Christians were called, uh, because they wouldn't go along. They wouldn't just say the right things to fit in. They wouldn't do the right things to fit in. And so if they were called capas <laughs> God, that's so hard. I got it earlier this week, but... Um, that, that we would continue following him. And so I, think, I wonder if this word mether is just a word, like almost like an insult, that kind of grew around the group of churches in Asia Minor at the time. So he's saying, don't even be called that. Don't get into people's business. Maybe this is something where he would say, as Christians, don't force our morality on people who are not Christian, because that always goes badly. But that we try to live faithful lives so that they would see the quality of our lives. Let's see, the way that we handle difficulty, the way that we treat others, and they would want to follow Jesus themselves. Then there's this part here, he says, however, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. And I have to say, this short passage here is probably the most convicting part of this whole passage for me this week. If you are, if you are insulted, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed but actually rejoice because you bear that name, Christian. You know, and that's something that uh, I realize that I have been I've been doing poorly, is rejoicing in the name Christian. You know, it's it's hard. There are lots of different groups who take the name, who claim for themselves the idea or the name Christian and do pr- some pretty horrible things, things that I disagree with, things that I wish are, or I'm embarrassed by. But Peter here is saying, this is who we are. If we follow Jesus, we can't help if other people claim to be Christians but don't follow him well, we can't help that. But we who follow Jesus, we are called Christians, that we would rejoice in that name. And I know oftentimes I I talk with people about, you know, I find other ways, like a follower of Jesus or a disciple or other ideas, basically the same thing, just not using the word Christian because of the way it's used in our society but this text is convicting to me that I wear that name, that title Christian. That I rejoice in that name. I'm honored to be a Christian. So he says, still, don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. And I just want to point this out. This is just a quick structural thing in this passage. He says here, if you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. Then he says, in verse 15, says, don't do the wrong things. But then in 16, again, he says, however, you suffer for being a Christian. It's like a sandwich. Both the the two yellow parts are saying basically the same thing. If you suffer for being a Christian, rejoice. Don't suffer for doing, like in 15, the white part, don't suffer for doing the wrong things. But if you suffer because you are a follower of Jesus, rejoice. So put it all together. So, so far, he's given us, don't be surprised when you face hard things. In this next part here, he says, Rejoice. This is the third part of the survival kit. Sorry, the second part of the the survival kit is rejoice. It's a discipline, I know. When things are hard, when we feel like we're being insulted because of our faith or excluded or treated unfairly, it's really hard to rejoice. It is a discipline. It is a spiritual discipline to continue giving God thanks, to take pride in the name Christian, to not avoid it, but to keep uh, rejoicing. And he said, we keep rejoicing, one, because we're sharing in the suffering of Christ, as Peter's pointed out, But also we're blessed with the Holy Spirit, that God's Spirit is with us, and that we also rejoice in this name, Christian. Regardless of how badly other people use it, we, as followers of Jesus, take that name and do the best we can to bring honor to it by the way we live. Okay, then Peter says this, he says, for it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. Now this was a really challenging part of, for me for this passage. Um, troubling because, you know, many of us, and I think myself included, was, you know, how does how does judgment begin with the house of God? Because you know, Peter seems to be saying the trouble they're facing right now is the beginning of judgment. And I'm, you know, Peter, how do you make, like, what are you saying? How do we understand this? And I think Peter's saying here is that um, as Christians, or actually every person, all humanity, faces judgment. And we often think of judgment purely in terms of punishment. I mean judgment more in we will all stand before Christ and give an account for our lives. And because of Jesus, because of what he's done, we are deemed righteous. But He's, I think he's saying here is that the Christians, that we as Christians, sometimes we face suffering even in this life, with the house of God. Now this is not new. Peter's not making this up. This is actually comes out of the Old Testament. Uh, first of all, in Zechariah, so the prophet Zechariah says, "On that day a fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. I will bring into the fire, uh, I will bring into the fire, I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. They will call in my name and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people, and they will say the Lord is our God. This is kind of imagery of God even beginning with judgment with his own people, because of their sinfulness. But ultimately, at the end of it, all of it comes to this point of, his, of God still saying that they are my people. Even though I have, I've punished them for the sin that they've done, they are my people. And the people will reply by saying, you are our God. So that's from Zechariah. Then also this, too, this passage from Malachi. See, I will send my messenger who will prepare a way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify even the Levites, again, people of Israel, and refine them like gold and silver. So even in the Old Testament, they had this idea that everybody, all humanity, would stand before God. But the people of God, because of their faithfulness in him, would be deemed righteous, and they would not be destroyed. Now the other thing that I just wanted to quickly point out is that both of these passages, both Zechariah and Malachi, they use this image of a refining fire, of a fire that's used in smelting. That's how you get, uh, you take raw ore, of, for example, say gold, and you put a lot of heat to it, you melt the gold out of it. You burn away the impurities, and all that you're left with is the, is the precious metal, the gold. And so um, it's interesting because Peter actually uses this same Sort of imagery in his letter as well. So from our passage this morning, uh, verse 4:12, one that we already looked at, he says, "Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering." And I just wanted—I underlined the word "painful trial" because uh, the NIV they translated it as "painful trial" because they wanted to, to help us understand to make it a little bit easier to see. But actually, the Greek word is puros which means "fiery." So, friends, do not be surprised at the fiery trial that you are suffering. So there's this image of fire. Now. You might think, okay, Jason, that's a little thin. But actually in First uh, Peter, in chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, he says this. Uh, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These uh, These have come so that your faith, now here's the part, so that your faith, which is greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So again, Peter is taking up this Old Testament image of of a refiner's fire. The heat and the suffering, the hard stuff that comes that actually refines the, the gold, makes it worth even more, takes all the impurities out of it. So Peter is using this same imagery. So Peter's point here is that this fire, though we think like, oh, Lord, like, what are you doing? Do you, do you not love me anymore? Are you, have, you, have you abandoned me? Why am I facing these hard things? That actually God is using these difficult things to refine us like gold in the fire, to burn away our impurities, the things sometimes our arrogance or our pride, sometimes our unfaithfulness or our rebellion, to make us more pure, to make us more resilient. For Peter, this too is an, an image that brings faithfulness. It's a way of proving uh, our purity for God. But then Peter says this. I'm oh sorry. I actually, I wanted to say this is that sometimes we think like, well, you know, maybe this is just Peter, like his own thoughts on things. But actually you see it in the New Testament as well. Here's a passage from Romans written by Paul, the apostle. He says, For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. So all, everybody, all of humanity and, and people, uh, the church, as is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. He's speaking to the church here. So this is not just something that happened in the Old Testament, that Peter, this is actually something that the church is seeing as well, that we have this, we will stand before God. So Peter's point is that we all go through judgment. The time has come to begin with the family of God, that we will all stand before him, both the believer and the non-believer, that our current suffering is just a portion, maybe even the beginning portion of judgment. And it's difficult to kind of reconcile because we have brothers and sisters. The suffering they are facing is costing them their lives. Some of them it is costing them in terms of their being uh, bombed, like the church in the Philippines uh, this morning. Or some of them it is costing their lives in the the fact that they have wasted years, or they rot for years, I shouldn't say rot, that they spend years uh, in prison because they are Christians. And then there's us here. None of us are going to prison yet for being a Christian. None of us are being killed yet for being a Christian. Yet we feel we still face difficulties, condescending looks, side and <laughs> off comments, people's judgment of us because we follow Christ. But he's saying, but like Peter's saying here, this gold, these trials, they burn away the impurities. They burn away impurities in us. They also burn away impurities in the church. You know, in places like the Middle East, you don't dabble in Christianity. <laughs> You don't show up at church because all your friends are doing it. You don't become a Christian because it gives you good business contacts. In places like the Middle East or China, like certain parts of Philippines, the only time you're a Christian is if you're ready to die for it. Thankfully, we don't face that yet. I'm grateful. But there, also, there might be Christians in, in the larger church across Canada, that maybe they wouldn't be Christians anymore if it was that serious. So Peter is encouraging us, especially this church here. I think their position is very similar to ours. I don't think they were being uh, imprisoned or killed yet for their faith, but for us to be faithful. And the trials that we face, they help refine our faith, help us to be more faithful. So, Uh, then Peter moves on to these two things, these two rhetorical questions. And he says, and if it begins with us, this this, um, judgment of the family of God, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? So that's the first rhetorical question. If it begins with us, what's going to happen to them? Then this one here, he says, and if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So if it's hard for us, if we have to go through hard things, even as the children of God, what's going to come of the people who don't follow him? So these two rhetorical questions. The second one actually is a quote of Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs verse 11, I'm uh, sorry, chapter 11, verse 31. But the point of these two things is if it is hard for us as followers of Jesus, it's going to be impossible for people who do not. And that's really hard in our culture right now. In our culture, inclusivity is, is, the, is the highest ideal. That is the, the chief belief of our culture around us. And when we as Christians say, actually, it's only through Christ, that we are saved. Only through Christ that we are reconciled to God. People get furious with us. How dare you? How dare you say that? And it's not that we revel, at least I don't revel in it. I wish Jesus had some way he made like open the doors for everybody. But God is God and in his wisdom he said it's only through him. And so it is the same. If it's hard for us as followers of Jesus, how much harder will it be for those who do not? So it's a tricky part of this passage, you know, this judgment of the house of God. It raises some interesting questions for us. Um, But the point is this. The point is this, is that God is at work in us. Even though we face difficult things now, it does not mean that God has abandoned us. And if it's hard for us, how much harder is it going to be for people who refuse to follow God? Okay, now it's time for this last part. It says, so then, those who suffer according to, God, to, to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. So those who su- suffer according to God's will. Now, resist, uh, for us to resist the temptation to spiritualize this, um, you know, that sometimes, um, specifically for unfair treatment as, as Christians, that's what Peter is talking about here. So resist the idea or the temptation to take this passage and just to apply it to, to suffering generally. Because Peter's talking specifically when we face persecution, persistent harassment for following Jesus, for being a Christian. So he's saying when we face that sort of suffering, uh, that we should continue to do these things. Now that's not to say that this isn't applicable to general suffering, like I'm having trouble in my relationships, or I'm having trouble with my health, I'm just having uh, these hard things happen in my life, I lost a loved one. I think these things are still applicable even for that sort of situation. But Peter is first and foremost talking about the situation of persecution. All right? So this is good advice. He's gonna, we're going to get into it in just a moment. But he's saying here, according to God's will, and this is, raises kind of a tricky question for people. Does God will suffering? Right? You know, and the answer, I think, honestly, is maybe. And sometimes. Sometimes, Yes. Sometimes suffering is a consequence of our sin. We've been forgiven of our sin in the ultimate sense, but sometimes we still continue to bear the consequences of it. For example, I could imagine if someone, um, if you were drunk driving and you killed someone, like you would be incarcerated for that, put in prison. And you might think like, oh, why am I still suffering? Well, it's the consequences of sin. Another one might be as um, part, uh, um, part of a bigger part of God's plan. Sometimes we suffer in our lives because God is doing something bigger through us. And I can't help but think I mentioned it a couple weeks ago about the uh, missionary Jim Elliott, uh, the book Beyond the, or the Point of the Spear. Jim Elliott and a group of his friends, four other guys, they left the U.S., went to a remote area of the Amazon, and ultimately they were killed as missionaries. But eventually that tribe became Christian. As a family, the family, the missionaries' families continued to love them and to, to tell them about this good news, to forgive them. It changed that whole uh, village and that whole group of people. Like, those are bigger picture things. You know, we might think like, oh, Lord, why did Jim die? Like, how, why is he suffering? And then years later, we see God's purpose in it. So sometimes, yes, I think God does will us to suffer. i think, in two, about how it refines us. Sometimes how suffering grows us up and makes us more mature as followers of Jesus. I was thinking about it in terms of Tracy's cancer. You know, that was years ago now. And I don't know if it was God's will. I don't know if it was just a brokenness of our culture or a brokenness of the world around us. But I could see how God has used it, at very least has used that moment in our life to shape who we are, to shape who Tracy is, to change her, to change me, to enable us to speak with people who are going through similar things. It's different when you can say, I know what those meetings were like or I know what those doctor's appointments were like. So we see, sometimes, oftentimes, in hindsight, how God uses suffering in our lives. But I want to make this point. It's never because God is capricious. It's never because God is flaky and just gets angry one day and then happy the next and then angry one day. That's the ancient view of gods. The gods, you can never predict them. They were like little kids. That's not the God we serve. Our God is consistent and faithful and good. And that's what Peter's been trying to show the church through his whole letter is that even though we face suffering, it doesn't mean God has abandoned us. It doesn't mean we've done something wrong. It might actually, as Peter's saying to the church here, you are being faithful. You are following Jesus well. That's why you're facing persecution. So Peter's helping us to see suffering differently. I also see this as a challenge to uh, a lot of theology that goes around us today. Many of us know it as the health and wealth gospel or the prosperity gospel. There are some who teach that the only thing that God wants for us is our, for us to be super healthy, for our bank accounts to be overflowing, and for there to be no suffering in our lives. And the other, the kind of the other side of that, that sort of theology is that all suffering is Satan. Now that's true; like Satan does cause a lot of suffering. But as we just talked about, some suffering I think is even God's will in our lives. God has bigger plans. And I know it's really hard for some because they say, "No, no, no, no. God only wants good things for me." And I think God does want good things for us. But sometimes that greater good goes through difficult things. I think about this too, about how God is, you know, God is God. He's got bigger goals, his kingdom of God, the salvation of people, and sometimes he will take us through difficult things to achieve those purposes. It requires struggle from us. I think that's just true. But then Peter gives us this teaching. So he talks about one, God's will, but then he says this. He says, commit themselves to their faithful creator. This is what they should do. Commit themselves to Jesus, to God, uh, to keep trusting God, to realize that he hasn't abandoned us. Even when things are hard and we think, oh, maybe, like, where is God? Why am I going through this? That God is still with us. That we're actually not doing something wrong. Actually, sometimes we face suffering because we're doing exactly what we should be doing. We're faithfully following Jesus Then he says this last part. He says, and continue to do good. Trust God, commit to following him, and continue to do the right thing. Keep doing the right thing, even when it's hard for us. That we endure harassment, or persecution, or persistent harassment. We endure those things and keep doing the right thing. Keep doing good. We realize that God hasn't abandoned us. And then we don't sink to the level of people around us and start like throwing insults back, but rather we trade blessings for insults. We bless people. We pray for them. We keep doing good. You might some of you, think, you know, so what does good look like, Jason? A great example, but we talked about last week in loving your church well. That we, above everything else, love each other. That we'd be hospitable with each other. That we would serve each other. All of this t- for God's praise. The people around us see that and they say, you know, as much as I don't like what they say or what they say about the way we should live, Christians, they do love each other. Those are powerful things, that we love each other well as a church. So let's pull all this together. So we have this thing, don't be surprised. When we face suffering for following Jesus, don't be surprised. In fact, rejoice. Rejoice because you share in his suffering, Christ, and because the Holy Spirit is with you. And then this last piece, Keep trusting God and do the right thing. Keep trusting God and keep doing the right thing. This passage shows us how we survive difficult times. How we survive when people speak condescending to us when they don't like us because we follow Jesus or because we say, you know, actually, I think God wants us to live this way, not that way. And this is the survival kit for us. The one we aren't surprised Suffering is a part of following Jesus. And that's something we have a hard time with, especially in our culture. And we're going to face it, I think, even more and more as our culture becomes increasingly more secular and we continue to follow Jesus. Those two roads keep splitting further and further apart. So don't be surprised. The others rejoice. Rejoice because not only are we sharing in Christ's suffering, but also we are blessed with God's Spirit on us. God will be with us, especially when we're going through hard things because we are being faithful to Jesus. Then this last part, he says, um, um, keep trusting in God and keep doing the right thing. Trust in God; He is still with us. And keep doing the good things, even though it's hard. Even though people um, are actually doing the good things, maybe to the people who are insulting us or harassing us, we keep doing the good thing because that will bring praise to God. Imagine what that looks like in our life and our community. I can tell you, when Christians start going the other direction. <laughs> when we start complaining, when we start retaliating, when we start trading insults with people, that is never good for the church. That never brings glory to God. But when we are faithful to Jesus, when we keep doing the right thing, people will see who God is. Amen.